Welcome to the Healing Circle podcast, where we talk about everything mental health, faith, and relationships. Though this show is hosted by a licensed therapist, that's me, Kobe, I am not your therapist. These amazing conversations are meant to provide psychoeducation and start some good conversation, but they're not meant to be a substitute for real therapy services. We're excited to learn, grow, and talk with you guys. So let's jump into today's episode. Hey everyone, I'm Kobe. And I'm Kyle. And welcome back to the Healing Circle Podcast, y'all. Thank hey, you yeah. for being so patient with us. Thank you for being... Kyle. <laughs> Thank you for being so patient with us and letting us take breaks as we... The last couple, the last six weeks have been nuts for us. Bro, it's been like crazy. If, if we told you how crazy it was, you probably would not believe us. So it has been absolutely crazy, and we don't want to just talk about mental health and wellness and faith and trust in the Lord, and then not actually demonstrate it. And for us, faith looked like taking a break and trusting that you guys love us enough to support us when we got back. <laughs> you know, so yeah, we're glad to be back in the studio aka my little office in the house and yeah so before we get started today for those of you who don't know um i have a twice yearly mental health intensive and retreat and it is my baby it is my entire child yeah uh, oasis retreat and mental health intensive is just that it is not just like, okay, we go somewhere cute. First of all, it's a premier retreat and it's luxury. And by luxury, I'm just going to keep a thou wow with you guys. I dropped a lot of money. <laughs> and Kyle, the, our credit um, card knows that. An yes. absurd amount of money, some a, might say. An no. absurd amount yeah, of money. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get what you pay for, though. Yeah, you know? thousands, thousands of dollars. And I don't say that to be like, look at me, I spent thousands of dollars. But I say that. Honestly, because God gave me a vision of of what he wanted me to make this retreat as I planned it. And I knew that it had to be something that was like luxury. I knew that it was not, I could not just be just another beach house, just another Airbnb, just another rental spot. It had to be something where when people walked in, they said, wow, because like the hospitality of the decor of the home I promise I'm trying not to get too churchy, but like the hospitality of the decor of the home would minister to them. Yeah. So like that, the, like God cares about you this much. He cares this much about the details of your life that when you walk into this luxury place, you are looking around like, dang, this is for me. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of place that I got. So it's a beautiful luxury home. This year we are in Charleston, South Carolina. We are on Folly Beach, literally walking distance from the beach. By walking distance, I think it's a two-minute walk. Like we're like you walk on the sand and then you're on the beach, you know? And um I'm just so excited about this retreat, so excited about what God's going to do, so excited about how God's going to meet us. My retreats have been, like Kyle knows, 
I've been coming back with whole stories. Right. Testimonies. Whole story. I mean, I've you had. No, you can't get the money without the test. That's true. That's what. That's what. And I got a lot of tests. So I need God to 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 run up with yeah, the money. Yeah, I need you to come with the money, okay, please. Lord. Run um, that. Yeah, it, I, I mean, every year someone comes and someone is like miraculously healed. And I created this retreat because I did not feel like there was a place for Christians to come understand what trauma was and then actually work through their trauma in real life through a lens of faith with the view of the gospel in sight. You know, I felt like there was like, you know, you can go to like an inpatient treatment, but I felt like that was kind of like cold and impersonal. And then on the other hand, you can like go to a like a Christian retreat, but I feel like they don't have the mental health training to help people understand the difference between what's spiritual and what's mental, emotional, neurological. Yeah. And so with my training, I know the difference, right? I can say, hey, part of this is God's using counseling and neuroscience and therapy and social work to make straight paths so that he can touch the spiritual things. But sometimes he can't reach that stuff because our neurological system tells us that there is danger where there's not because of the trauma we've experienced, right? Yeah. And so- I'm just really excited. I feel like I like my words are just all over the place because I'm that excited. I'm just so excited for what God's gonna do. I say all this to say I didn't even say it. Registration's open. <laughs> wow. Reg- I just started babbling off about it because I love it that much, and and the people who come leave as family, not just to me but to each other, like li- literal strangers who came off of Instagram now visiting each other and each other's kids. In you know, going on vacation together in the summers and stuff, you know, and it just yeah. God is God is powerful, God is mighty, and God cares about your mental health. God cares about the childhood molestation. God cares about the secrets you've never told anybody. God cares about the wounds that other people say are silly. God cares about the things that break your heart, even if other people don't validate them. And He wants to meet you in it. Like, and I'm not talking about like, oh, we're going to sit and I'm going to tell you just how much God loves you. We are going to work through your actual trauma. We are going to do actual therapy together. And God is going to move in a miraculous way like he always does. Also, Kyle, you can speak to this. So one of the women who is on my Oasis team, so I have a whole team of people. They're amazing. So we have a private chef, Shamir Allen. We have a photographer, Charity um, Williams Ogumba. We have um, a videography team, Cassian Films, and then we have um, a masseuse, it's Melissa. Who, bro? Her name ain't really Melissa. We don't know who she is. She's the government says her name's Melissa, but yeah, she's she's, she's a not, she's so, one of the seraphim or something. Yeah. So, so Melissa does um, prophetic massages. Which at first I was a little skeptical. I was like, ah, oh, prophetic mm. massages. What are you yeah, come about? on, you know. But it's a reminder we can't we can't relegate an infinite God to our very finite understanding of how He communicates Himself and how He blesses and gifts people. She came to my retreat last year. hadn't met her, but I let her come because the Spirit was just like, "Girl, do it." So I was like, "All right, Spirit." So wow, what a conversation! Keep going now. Dang, let me cough on the mic. Um, so she came to the retreat. There were 13 people because everyone who serves gets served, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you are on Shamir's private chef team, you're getting massages too. If you are, um, you know, 
photography, you're getting massages as well. So 13 people all together. She prophesied over every single person, did not miss once. Keep in mind, I'm also just meeting these people. So she's prophesying about things that someone said to them or done to them or whatever it is from decades back. And I can't even verify, like only they can verify it mm-hmm. because I'm like, uh, they just came to my retreat and yeah. literally am meeting them face to face for the very first time, you know? And um, I mean, she, she is gifted and she is amazing and so great. I literally paid for her to come like do massages for my friends here in Charlotte and again, did not miss, did not miss. Um, Oasis is going to be a powerful Holy Spirit filled time. If you feel like you are like longing for God, longing for this promise that he's put before you, but you feel like your brokenness is just too much for you to reach that promise, you need to be at Oasis. If you feel alone in your trauma and feel like, how does the gospel even apply to this? I'm tired of rehearsing Bible verses and not feeling any different. You, you need to come to Oasis. If you feel like I'm doing all the things, I'm confessing my sins, I'm praying, I'm worshiping, I'm tearing, I'm fasting, I'm, you know, if you, you feel like you're doing all that stuff and nothing's happening, God has another way of reaching you. You need to come to Oasis. So that's my little um, Oasis spiel. The link to registration will be in the bio of the show notes. Please, please join us. I'm really excited. Also, this is a really great way for those of you who have reached out to me to get therapy and can't do and I can't do that because I can't fit you on my normal like five day a week um, caseload. Mm-hmm. This is a great way for you to come get therapy specifically for me, intensive therapy from me personally. Mm-hmm. If that's something you want, so yeah, yeah. And um, so before we we launch into um, adultification, I do have a question for you and parentification. So- but and yeah. and parentification. Mm-hmm. How could I forget the other one? <clears throat> and I just think it's it's really important that we kind of hash this one piece out before we move on. Okay. How do you follow Will Smith in the snow? Kyle, what are you talking about? You follow the Fresh Prince. Just marinate on that. Yeah. I just let that rest in spirit. No, no, baby, just let it. That was good. Wow. Yeah. I was like the fresh print. Oh, the fresh get it? print. Yes. Get it? Yeah. I get yeah. it. I get it. Sorry. It uh it Ooh. is um, I had that one sitting on me for I did I don't know where did it came you just from. Look it up? Not just. It came up a few days ago and I've been waiting for the right time. You felt like this was the right time. It just, you know, shooters got to shoot. Okay, Kyle, let's get let's give these people what they need. They don't want to hear anything else about Fresh Prince. I got a few more, but and we're gonna save those. So thank you. For Next episode, guys. So you guys, today we want to talk to you guys about parentification and adultification. So I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't like the definition of either of them because I feel like they just misses like a, a like a subset of not a subset i feel like it misses a set of experiences and it's their definitions are almost too too specific so adultification bias is essentially the study of how um african american black 
children who are women, not women, they're kids, but black African American females, um, essentially are treated like adults and treated like they are less in need of support and protection because they are seen as older than what they are, right? Which is heartbreaking and sad and evidence that the strong black woman trope starts way earlier than we think. It really just starts with the onset of our existence. And then that's adultification. Well, adultification bias. Adultification itself doesn't have its own definition. Parentification is kind of what we talked about with um the family system series or no different one no in this series oh okay enmeshment codependence like mm. it, it it fits in there so um parentification essentially is when your parents look to their children for emotional support rather than providing that support for them um and that looks like having their child be parentified over other siblings in the family, mm-hmm. meaning the child now becomes a partner to the mom and now they are parentified as in they're taking care of other siblings or contributing financially, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. But you know how we do. We kind of made up our own definition. So better. I agree. I do think it's better. That's why we made it up. I think that, and I would call it adultification because I think parentification implies some type of responsibility over someone else. Mm, And I think that there's a weight of responsibility that can be present in the absence of having to take care of another person. So this is our definition of um, adultification, which you look this up, this will not be the definition, but this is our definition. I think that adultification is when someone takes on the roles of developmental stages that they have have not reached yet, right? And because they're taking on the roles of a stage they have not reached yet, they do not have the mental and emotional bandwidth or capacity to carry the burdens that come alongside those responsibilities, right? So a kid who has to get up and make dinner, for themselves, mm. but does not understand the weight of a house burning down if they don't turn the stove off. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or even thinking about like parents who are like, Hey, like, what do you want to do for the next three years to like a 10 year old and the 10 year old being like, I want to do this. Right. I, I want to be an engineer. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, they can't, like their brain literally can't take on the responsibility of what their needs are going to be in the future because kids are present-centered and egocentric, <laughs> meaning they're thinking about themselves right now in the moment and they can't really project what their needs will be. They can't really anticipate needs in a salient way for the future, right? Yeah. It's sort of like, I'm trying to, I don't want to trying to remember the person that did it, but it, it doesn't matter. I just, I saw it where it was a professional athlete who asked their son at like six or seven years old, like, what do you want to do? And they said they wanted to play soccer too. And so they're like, okay. And then the son's like 12 years old and makes him get up and train every morning, do all this crazy stuff. And, and the reasoning for the, um, the father is like, oh, well, he made, the, he made this choice back when he was seven. Like, he doesn't want to do it anymore, but he made this commitment five years ago, and we stick to our commitments. I was like, "Mm, can a seven-year-old really 
commit to a lifelong Can decision? Yeah. No. You know, like, no, right? they can't. Developmentally, we would say. What was that? I have no idea. It felt like the, a light went out, too. Yeah, I think a light just went out. It was very weird. But didn't it sound like someone came from over there? Let's press pause. <laughs> All right, guys, we're back. <laughs> yeah, you should see the other guy. I have no clue what just happened. It was just like a crashing sound in our house. Um, and maybe I'll be able to edit, edit out our panic, <laughs> our our brief panic, but maybe not. And you guys are family, so we're okay. We're safe. Babies are safe. So, <laughs> so back to adultification, parentification, adultification. Um, so I think that adultification affects us biologically because it impairs our ability to perceive ourselves accurately hmm. right yeah. it's kind of like the like the nine-year-old who really feels like they can hang out with 15 year olds or, mm-hmm. or or 16 year olds because they've had to carry the responsibility of someone who's 16 right except for mentally and emotionally they don't have the capacity to engage with people that age and we know that this is something so common especially in the black community because how many times do you hear someone say, oh, they just have an old soul? Mm-hmm. It drives me nuts. I'm like... What does that mean? I'm like, you know... Anyways, It yeah. almost never means something good. If but we really, mean, really think about it. Like when people we really think about it, it. But for most people, they... Like, it is like, oh, this is a good thing. Right? Um, and also, it distorts our perception of safety. Right? Because it puts us in a position emotionally where we think we are capable of doing and handling things that we can't. Mm. Right? Think about the child who has been left to fend for themselves and ends up being um, attacked by an internet predator or lured by an internet predator. Yeah. Almost all. And I've, I've had clients who, like, that was their story. But it, if we went farther than the story where that that instance started, it really started with, I felt like I was grown, yeah, and I fe- and I felt like I was making a choice, which becomes a, a much more insidious type of sexual abuse and coercion mm-hmm. because they don't even realize in the moment that it's coercion that someone's preying on their de- developmental um, lack. Right to yeah. make sound decisions, their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. They cannot make sound decisions. It's funny that you say that because I can remember, like, being in middle school. Everyone, I'm sure, can resonate with the story in some sense. I can remember being in middle school, and there was like a few, actually, a few girls who were like dating like seniors in high school. Yeah, like. 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds. And from a distance, it's like, yo. like That's weird. Yeah. Something is really off here. Yeah. And it was always like, you're being taken advantage of. Yeah. And we would would say these things. Oh, no, she's just really mature for her age. And And it would just be like, no, I'm like, you don't understand. I'm mature. And it's like, but I don't know. Like, I can... I can point directly to at least my limited biased perception mm. of like a trauma for each one of those people. Yeah. Like it's not, it's never yeah. the person from the very stable, grounded, well-resourced home who has all that they need, who their or sometimes parents it are is. like 
Right. I mean, like involved, like in the sense of in all that they need, not in just the the physical sense. But you're talking about a lack of an emotional awareness from parental figures, right? right. So you can be and the, left think, alone even in a mansion. Right. And I think that lack of emotional awareness does not always have to look like outright neglect. Sometimes that looks like your parents expecting you to get straight A's and to be perfect on your first try of doing every single thing you do mm-hmm. or else you're a failure. Right. Which makes you and like there are people we've talked about this, babe. We've Mm -hmm. talked about how there are times where like mentally you have felt like I at six years old, I should have known better, better. Yeah. I have to fight that feeling. Yeah. And that's because and this is why I feel like and I'm like skipping around, but I'll come back to describing um, more of the ways that we can like trace this. But that is why I think adultification is not just trauma, it's intergenerational trauma. Hmm. Because I personally see in my work, this is not like validated empirically by other people. Mm-hmm. In my work, what I see are parents who are so traumatized in their childhood, they don't they don't remember being anything other than adults. Yep. And because they don't remember an, being anything other than adults, they perpetuate to their children that they should start out as adults and yep. that that's the best thing for them, right? That like to be childlike is to be... Um, a burden to be childlike is to be bad right and so they begin to interact with even the idea that people are like i don't do baby talk with my kids like if you talk to them like adult they'll talk like an adult back to you but why do you want why do you want a child to do that why do you need that Mm -hmm. let's start asking that question you know yeah and what happens is because people don't deal with their childhood trauma and don't deal with the fact that their lack of memory in childhood is actually a huge red sign and a huge sign of trauma because they don't deal with that when they have kids what they do is teach their kids at a young age you are supposed to start out as an adult Mm -hmm. they don't even know the developmental stages that they should be nurturing in their children yeah so they like even if they're doing their very best right if they're not, they don't have someone to step in and say like, hey, these are the development stages that your children should be at at this age, at this age, mm-hmm. at this age. What happens is they jump right into like, okay, you're six. You should understand what, what an eight and 10 year old should. Yeah. And and sometimes it really is that like six to eight feels like a small jump, you know, to a 28 yeah. year old. Mm-hmm. But developmentally, it's huge. It's, huge. it's a chasm, yeah. right? And yeah. so the idea of like, oh, well. I don't really remember anything till I was seven or eight. So I'm just going to, once they turn three, they're basically eight to me. Right. And, mm. um, yep. and to your point, like that doesn't have to be insidious. That doesn't even have to be like neglectful. Yeah. That doesn't... can just be, if it's normal to you, then you have no red flag. There's yeah. no flag being raised like, oh, this yep. is not right. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a community of people who've had similar experiences, mm-hmm. when your kid begins to act like a kid, and actually begins to operate out of health, you'll see it as bad parenting. Mm. So question for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, This isn't scripted at all, but I'm wondering now, do you, you're an immigrant, right? So that's Mm -hmm. part of your story. Um, Do you feel like this affects immigrant children, maybe to a higher level than than other communities? I'm just imagining the idea of what it would cost a parent to come here. And then the idea that you don't really have time to let your kids be kids because- you've got to make it and then it becomes maybe normalized to to like not let your kids be kids but that could not that that could just be conjecture i don't know if that's no. true at all yeah 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 so for those of you who don't know i am Ghanaian 
My parents are from Ghana, West Africa, to all my fellow Guinean people. Etsy Singh, hello, how are you? Um, I think that it definitely affects, I think overall it affects minorities, period. Because mm-hmm. to survive in the yeah, United it's, States, it's a it, thing, <laughs> that's a given, sure. right? And so I don't want to say <laughs> yeah. just immigrants, but I do think it affects immigrants, especially first generation immigrants. And I also think it matters with birth order. Mm. Because I know my oldest brother had to grow up like incredibly, he was pretty much a caretaker. Yes, you know, I mean, like he, we grew up in Canada. And he would like tell me stories about him going to the store to like get snacks or like pick up like some random groceries by himself, taking the bus at six years old. And I'm over here like true crime fanatic. Like mm-hmm. you could have been snatched up. I would never let Levi at six years old take the public transit to go get something for me to come back, right? Mm -hmm. But that was a life we had to live. You know, my dad was getting his PhD in Milwaukee, United States. My mom was working full-time as a cleaner and there were four of us. So my my brother, even though he was a kid, had to take on the role of someone who is an adult, right? Even though he wasn't. And so I think that, I think indeed for eldest children, In my experience, yes. Mm -hmm. But I think emotionally, yes. I think immigrant families definitely deal with this. I can't. Yeah. I don't Not want only, to... but just in a unique way. Yeah, know? I think in a unique way. I think that we are we are especially attuned to well, one we're especially attuned to our parents' needs. Yeah. And part of that comes from the fact that, like, as children who are just a little more adaptive, we are kind of at younger age, experts in the culture before they are. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Right? Like, and I think it's a little more clear in like um, first generation when the parents don't speak, um, speak English. Native. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the children do, but my parents spoke English, but still it was like, we like understood mm-hmm. <laughs> Southern culture quicker than they did. Mostly because we yeah. were immersed in school and the countries of countries. you go from Ghana to Canada to the South. To Summerfield, North Carolina. <laughs> Come on, man. To, that... Like, I'm telling you. You know? And so I think that there's, like, this... It's just a very weird and odd space. But as we're talking about this, I, I want to share some of the things that happen with, or someone who it's experiencing adultification may experience in their childhood. Gotcha. So um, they may be forced in you know not forced in a hard hard way but like forced situationally to take on developmental tasks that are beyond their actual development like paying for bills Mm. right um being a sole caretaker for a specific child in the family you know you're supposed to watch out for your brother that should be situational not normative right huh why? I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it should be situational. Levi should never always be responsible for watching Makai. That's our job. And have you noticed that we've never let, we'll say, Levi, watch out for your brother, but neither of us have ever left Levi alone to actually watch out for his brother. We might open the, open the fridge to grab some eggs. I'm going to keep it hot. You're not going to like this. Here we are. Kyle I Campbell, don't do this that. live. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. so explain this to me. And how far have you gone? I've, I've gone upstairs. Like, I've gone upstairs to grab something and been like, hey, Levi, just keep an eye on your brother. Like, if he's, like, in the bouncer or something. I'm not saying, like, I've okay, just let him crawl I can, I can deal with still, that. But the idea, this, like, this, so we're having a moment right now. Yeah, I'm like, why are you surprised by this? This is novel to me. 
That should, it should be situational. Cons- it makes sense when you say it, but I never really thought about it in that sense. Well, think about what it does. I mean, to it's be- correct. <laughs> I know it's correct, right? But think about what it does to your mind if you are not you are still asking your parents for help. You still cannot do things for yourself, and someone's telling you that another person's life is in your hands. Could you imagine what type of like emotional paralysis that creates to need mommy and daddy to reach the top cupboard? But I have to be responsible for someone's whole life. Dang, bro. And, and I promise you, if they're in that situation, no one's even explained to them what death is. That sound you guys are hearing in your ears, it's my therapy bill going up and up and up and up. I got to talk to Dr. Dr. Todd about all this. Like it just like, but think about it, right? Like we, when we are responsible for something in some capacity, we have a sense of what our lack of responsibility will create. If I don't pay these bills, the lights will go off. Right. If I don't, if I don't take care of these plants, they'll die. If I don't like, we understand the then kids don't understand that. Yeah. They don't understand, like, like they don't understand the fullness of, like, if you don't watch your brother and he falls and hits his head, he's dead and he's gone forever. Yeah, yeah. So why why do we put children in a place where they have that level of responsibility when we can't even handle it, which is why we gave it to a child in the first place? Yeah. Right? It, yeah. So this is, I mean, obviously, there's an aspect of it that's mm-hmm. obvious, right? There's, yeah. like, okay, I'm not going to. I'm not gonna be frying chicken and be like, "Hey, Levi, watch the stove. <laughs> watch the stove." Let me know when the oil's hot. <laughs> yeah, but just the idea that you said of like, "Oh, it should be only situational, not normative." And while I would agree intellectually to that, I was raised for it to be a normative statement. Mm-hmm. Like, I can yeah. remember being three, four. That's one of the first things I remember hearing. Like, you are your brother's keeper. Yeah. Point blank. Period. Like you're Meanwhile, responsible for him. Don't even know what keeper means. Well, I mean, I was I read a lot of books when I was little, but they Kyle, either way, <laughs> either, not with the you. idea though, and it was like it was the most normal thing. Like you get a spanking for like not having kept an eye on your brother at any given point, or or your sibling at any which given is point. insane to me like, because I want to know what parents are getting spankings for their kids not listening to them. You want me to have authority over someone else's my exact age? Like, make yeah. it make sense. You it, know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. I but know if it it's doesn't. New, but here we, but now here we go. Yeah. It is. So and that's normalized. Why right. And that's why we're talking so about it, right? So being asked to make decisions that only adults should make, right? Mm. I have worked with people who are like crippled by decision making because of adultification. Mm. Why? Because they were, when they're 11 years old and their mom was dating, their mom was like, should I break up with him? No. And they're 11. And, and they're like, I don't know. And their mom's like, well, you tell me. <sighs> no. Right? And it doesn't have to be that specific situation. But how many times yeah. have we been put in situations where our parents asked us, of, asked things of us that they should have never asked a child? Mm. Like, we should have never had to deal with the things that we dealt with, right? We should have had, never had to know that they were negative, whatever, in their bank account. We should have never had to, to choose between whether we were going to eat or have heat, 
you know, yeah. but there are people out there. No, I, I know some people mm -hmm. yeah. whose parents treated them like equals because they needed a partner in yeah, life. And they were just support. kind of like, yeah. And they're just kind of like, and now little child, you are an adult. Right. And what this does is it creates what makes it so insidious to me is as a child socially children are taught that the faster you grow up the more highly regarded you are and so the child does not have the ability to resist adultification when it's happening because adultification in the moment looks like a reward yeah but it's a gift that does not keep giving. Yeah. That's how you get on the spades table. Yeah. You know? Like, you're not grown enough. Like, oh, you know, he he got an old soul. He he can play with yeah, me. Yeah, man. What? You, yeah, you can get on the spades table early if you're adultified, for yes. sure. So people who struggle with adultification struggle with this one thing I have found. Experiencing joy. Joy is whimsical. Joy does not have the sense of re uh, responsibility. Joy does not entail that you make really hard decisions. I'm, I'm not talking about getting to joy. I'm talking about just experiencing joy. This wasn't in the show notes. I feel attacked. All right, y'all. Until the circle comes back around. Kyle, I cannot. People who have been adultified have been so... Um, What's the word I'm looking for, babe? Um, so, like, their identity has been so fused mm -hmm. to being older and so fused yeah. to being someone who is a decision maker in situations that they don't know how to just relax because it's part of their, right? Like, you're, the foundation of your identity, the foundation of your identity is created in your childhood. Yeah. That's not just like anecdotal. That's biological. What you believe about yourself in your childhood is the foundation for how you perceive yourself as an adult, right? And so imagine if you had to make hard decisions. Imagine if when your mom went out to work, you had to put the kids to bed. Like you didn't get to experience joy or freedom. And what that leads to in relationships, it's people who, one, they struggle with remembering their childhood because they didn't have one. Mm -hmm. Right, and they develop the sense of resentment as they meet more people who got to experience a childhood and and they didn't. Right, they begin to feel responsible for the people around them. So a lot of their relationships begin to be built around how can I serve you, how can I help you, yeah. because that's that's what their the core of their identity mm -hmm. is. Right, they may feel out of place with peers because they aren't, even though emotionally they are much more immature than their peers. They are terrified of acting in congruence with their actual developmental stage for fear of looking or seeming immature because that's also a value that's been ingratiated to them, right? Yeah. Like that's also a value that's been like beaten to their heads is like to act like a child is bad. And so they always want to act older than they are mm. because their identity is rooted in that, right? often called like the mature friends, like the, the friend who's like the mom of the mm -hmm, group. The mom of the group, the dad of the group, mm -hmm. yeah. They might find themselves in relationships where they are caretakers for their partners, which can lead to codependence, not always, but like essentially they they can partner up with someone who resembles their parent, mm -hmm. who always needs help, who validates their ability to help them. Uh-oh. 
right? Because it becomes this this feedback loop, right? They may struggle to find identity outside of being a caretaker and outside of acting older than what they are. Um, and they may long to be, rather, I can say this with almost a thousand percent assurance, they long to be unburdened from making decisions and taking care of other people, but don't know who they are without that role and don't know how to take hold of the joy outside of that role. It's rough. I know some people like that. Do you? So, mm. A few. Just a couple? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and to your point, some of this is like so culturally ingrained. Some of these things you can just, you can point to a neighborhood <laughs> and you'd be pointing to, you know, every every third kid in the neighborhood because it's like, it's part of the framework. Um, but it is it is fascinating how much of like, I love what you said about the fused identity with being older, because then you, you have a lot of people and we've met a few and are meet, continue to meet people like this, who their identity of who they are is fused in being older and being more mature. Mm-hmm. Then they grow up, so to speak, they hit the real world. Mm-hmm. And like every adult, they fail because yeah. adulting is hard. Mm-hmm. But for them, it's uh it's not, oh man, I'm struggling with adulting. It's uh my identity is shattered yeah. because I should have this figured out when no one has it figured out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. But having it not figured out is more than just, Oh, I, I failed on this task. It's now I no longer am who yeah. I am. Yep. And, and also I find that they struggle with healing because healing demands vulnerability and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And that authenticity is often that they appear several Childlike. years ahead of other people developmentally, but they're actually several years behind people developmentally. Mm-hmm. And so they have to be honest about that. And the, the shame that they feel of being honest, the shame that they feel of, of like admitting that they feel like a little kid in a, in a big girl's coat or a big boy's coat, yeah, like leads them to a place where they're just like, I'm never sharing this with anybody. Right. Um, and so it's hard for them to heal from the childhood trauma. Like, do you see how it's it's such I like insidious is the only word I can think of. It's such an insidious feedback loop. It like it is self-validating. You know? Yeah. And so and the world will praise you for it at mm-hmm. every at every time. Oh yeah. That's listen. We have no heroes that we look up to because of their childlikeness, except for Jesus. Um, which is, you know, part of what he comes to do. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, it's like, no, you, you're praised for not being weak, for not being vulnerable, for not needing anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And your success and who you are is directly tied to that. That's part of the American dream. Yeah. Not Pull yourself up by anybody. your bootstraps. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. But it leaves these people um, lacking joy. Lacking joy, lacking the ability to have fun, lacking the ability to be lighthearted, because those are all things that, like, development is not just moving from one stage to another. Development is building from one stage to the other, meaning you need, there are some things and tools you need to build at four and five for you to be a healthy nine-year-old. Yeah. Right? And it's like trying to build a house with literally no foundation. Right. And so these people can, they essentially they're acting and they don't realize yeah, it, but playing like, a part. they're playing a part instead of living 
as them, their authentic selves, living as themselves. Um, and this is not like, oh, they're fake people, like a shaming at all. But like, it's truly heartbreaking because these people are people who deserve to experience love and joy. It's Jesus himself who says those who don't receive the kingdom of God, like children won't receive it at all. Right. And we get to see in the Pharisees and the Sadducees what it looks like when people are so accustomed to rules and decisions and to um, control. That's another mm-hmm. thing, too, because they're giving control at a really young age. They get control over what they eat, control over what they wear, control mm-hmm. over where they go, control over. Like, like, it makes me think of the friends who like, oh, I don't have a curfew. My parents just let me come back whenever I want to. Mm-hmm. Like. It sounds cool when you're in the 10th grade, but you look back and it's like, well, then who is protecting you? You were in charge of doing that for yourself and that's not appropriate. Yeah. You know? You have any other thoughts, Kyle? I, I have a lot, but I think- Do you want to do it in the next episode? <laughs> yeah. we. I think a lot of it has to do with parent, uh, not parentification. No. Reparenting. This has been enlightening. Yeah. Um, I was not expecting it to be, and what it's all you your mean fault. You expecting it to be. No, no, I was expecting other people to be enlightened, not oh, me. Oh, you, like, didn't not expect personally you were going to be surprised with some of the stuff we talked yeah, about. Okay, oh, I can man, understand that. That's a thing. Okay. Yeah. I, but now I know I, I can watch out for it. But, and all the stuff we were going to talk about for reparenting, I guess now I can really, really, really apply directly to my own heart. Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Go register for Oasis. The link is in the show notes. I'm so excited to see you guys. It's December 2nd through the 5th. And next week, we will be talking about reparenting adultification and taking some of the steps to go back and to allow ourselves to experience and feel some of the developmental like milestones that we miss. So that as we live as our full selves now, we can do that with integrity and authenticity and freedom um, so that we can experience joy. Yeah. All right, you guys. Till the circle comes back around. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked our conversation, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so we can get the word of healing out to as many people as possible. Visit the show notes to stay up to date on our mental health workshops, yearly retreats, Oasis is Bomb, and connect to us on social media. We'll chat with you guys soon until the circle comes back around.